John chapter 4. I am always eager. I'm always trying. I'm always trying to make the word of God live for you. Because I realize that these words are separated by language. This was written in Greek. And actually, the original conversation probably happened in Aramaic, which is a form, a derivative form of Hebrew. So, on this, uh, and so, but I'm always eager to do is to, I want to deliver to you God's word in a way that's meaningful and, 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 and intelligible and actionable. So, uh, to that extent, I'm always wanting, I, you know, every week I, I introduce the text. And now we're back, we're back from our roaming series on worship, which we, our leaping point was John 4, 24. We're starting with John 4, 26 today in this text. And we're back in a different genre. Genre, what kind of story, what kind of literature is this? It's story. And the reason that's important is you read story differently than you read um, discourse or poetry. It has, a, it has some different ways that you mine it for truth. And, uh, and so you have to be a little careful. So we're in a different genre. Second, uh, second question, thing I want you to see is editorial organization. If you were going to tell a story, Will, how important would sequence be in that story if you were telling me a story? How important? Really important, really important. Yeah. Especially if I wanted to know how the story happened. All right, let's that's, that's, that's answer a different question. What if I asked you about how was the game last night? Would you give me a sequence, do you think? No, what would you wind up doing? Probably highlight, what you just did. You gave me highlights, right? That's what John says at the end of his book, in the book of John, chapter 22, that if he had tried to record everything Jesus had said and did, he would not have been able to. There was that much material. There was that many things said, that many things done. And so he had to edit. He had to editorially separate and, and these early, in, in the different culture than you are, Will, and I am, uh, they, sequence is not important to them. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. It might be or may or may not be relevant. But the, the editor in these stories, every one of the, every one of the Gospels, organizes his material um, uh, uh, ideologically. What I mean by it is, it, uh, and, and, and um, pedagogically. What I mean by this is, this is what he does. Hey, I want you to worship people in spirit and truth and go out and harvest people. That's going to be the part of this story here. Then he's going to put another story next to it of an amazing healing. Well, do they go? One of these things is not like the other, right? Well, that's what you think. But we're being invited by the editorial organization of the story to say, wait a second, Everybody coming to Jesus is a miracle. You see, you see we're supposed to, the miracle of the, the miracle worker, Jesus, is the same Jesus who's the preacher, Jesus, who's the friend, Jesus, to the woman in the well, the hussy, the town tramp that we looked at before. And, and he's come. This is, it's beautiful this way. And the editorial organization is meant to lead you and to go, oh, the God who raises children from death is the same God who brings David from death to spiritual life, you see? It's the same one who creates worship. Ah, and the idea is an invitation that this idea of harvest and is terrifying as, look, you must go out and harvest God's people. Does anybody feel up? that equipped for that? I'm going to look at that. Cultural criticism. And 
And that happens a lot in this text. We're, we're going to see elitism, sectarianism, sexism, ethnocentrism, classism, institutional bigotry. Bam! And it's almost like Christ is trying to find the, these things and hit them. And he hits them again and again. And then finally, dislocation. And this is the part of the story when I'm reading it. I want you to hear it. I, sometimes Jesus just sounds lonely to me. What I mean, it sounds, loneliness sounds like people don't get him. Do, do you ever feel lonely when people don't get you? No. Yeah, you're like, feel it. when you meet somebody who doesn't get you, doesn't understand what makes you tick and what's important to you, sometimes I feel like Jesus, his experience in the, Bible, in, in the stories, it's like people don't get him. He feels that all the time. He, people don't get, they don't see what he sees. They don't understand what he understands. They can't grasp the power that he has in him. And this dislocation is a big part of John. The isolation of Jesus and his dislocation from everybody around him. So let's read the story as we go into it. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit to be present to draw our minds and hearts to him. Why do we trust these ancient texts of our faith? For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without limits. Well, all right, but to, to sum up, um, the town tramp in a small town in Samaria, an ethnically corrupt in the Jews' mind location, detestable people. They're in the middle of conversation. Jesus says this. He reveals he's the Messiah. First time. First time. First time. First person. Not Peter. Not Nicodemus, the religious leader. Not his disciples. Not even his mom. Who's the first person? Woman of the well. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Yes, these are erotic overtones. That is the suggestion. He is not supposed to be talking to a woman. Jews don't talk to women, first of all. And second, they don't talk to Samaritans. This was a natural question, but nobody said, what do you see, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar. <laughs> this is funny. Jesus told her that he gives a water that does what? Makes people gushing water people. She came to get water to take back to town. She's not going with the jar. What's she returning to town with? Living water herself. She's gushing. <laughs> She's no one. She doesn't even take her work with her. It's beautiful. It's like a little note in the text, a little note in the narrative that, that excites you and kind of, kind of invites you to be like, well, and you can almost hear how excited somebody would be to leave their work, how excited they'd have to be to leave the work they were doing just to run to tell everybody who they just met. And she said to the people, listen to this first sermon. I imagine, I imagine, I wonder what the homiletics criticism in my homiletics classes would have been out of this first sermon. Come, see a man, well, he's the God man, come on, get this right, woman, who told me all that I ever did. That's pretty experiential. Can this be the Christ? Really? 
you end your sermon with a question. But what happens? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now, everybody knows Jesus fasts. Everybody knows every story of Jesus about him fasting, right? It always has a story about him fasting somehow. And this is like, right here in the text, there's this almost like a spontaneous fast. Have you ever done this where you get so involved at work you forgot to eat? Anybody, anybody have that experience? You get so involved at work you don't eat. What are you really doing? You're fasting. You're giving up something you need or desire in order to, in order to get something you want or desire more. That's all this fasting is. This is spontaneous fasting, mini fasting, and I love it. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone bought him something to eat? This actually happens a few times in the Bible. It's kind of comical almost because, you know, the five loaves and all that stuff. It's just comic. They just have no idea. They're clueless. You hear the dislocation of Jesus. They don't understand Jesus. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He reaches right into Deuteronomy. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do not say, do you not say, there are four months and then comes the harvest? Um, that's a proverb, an ancient proverb. It's attested outside of scripture. It's like this. Rome wasn't built today. Hey, look, harvest time takes at least four months. Like, everything takes time. It all takes time. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see. Three times he tells them to look, three different ways. And the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap, for you did not labor. Others have labored. He's talking about the Old Testament. And you have entered into their labor. Well, kind of. Who is reaping as he's talking? He's been sowing. He just re- Who's reaping as he's talking? Because he's been sowing and somebody's reaping right next to him. He just said, it's going to be like this. Somebody's sowing and the reaper's right next to you. Can you guess it? It's like somebody's sowing and somebody's right behind him picking up the fruit. Who just, he just sowed truth, right, in the gospel. And who started reaping right away? The hussy, the town tramp. She's the first evangelist. That's the point. You're supposed to go, oh, well, that means I can, well, we'll get there, we'll get there. All right. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. By the way, ancient title for Caesar. Ancient title for Caesar. It's a very controversial thing to say right here. All right. Let's keep going. Where are we here? I've lost my way. Uh, In the two days he departed for Galilee, 
For uh, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Now, John, doesn't, as a book, doesn't deal with this. Matthew and Mark and Luke deal with his rejection by his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. And having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he, he came again to Canaan in Galilee. This is early, early in his ministry. Where he made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. When the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. By the way, I've done that. You've heard of that? I, I, I've marked the time we were praying in a group. We prayed for this little child one time, remember, that she was going into surgery sometime soon. We were praying for her healing. I remember I was so overwhelmed with an answer in prayer while I was praying I remember asking people in the group later, what time did the girl get better? Because it was so, I had such an overwhelming sense of it in my heart, and it was at the time we were praying. I'm telling you this because it's worthwhile to go back and check. <laughs> the Bible's inviting you to go back and check. <laughs> you get to go back and check to see if God was timely or not. He, he often isn't. Okay, so, uh, but if he is, it's, it's worth noting. <laughs> okay, he's quick like that. As you're going down, his servants met him. Okay, your father knew that the hours that Jesus said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed and all his household. This is now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Father, I pray for a special uh, blessing from the Holy Spirit for me and my hearers. For people worshiping upstairs. Yeah, Father, that's a blessed sound. I hope it blesses you. And uh, may, our, may my thoughts and words bless, bless your name in Jesus. Amen. Yeah, it's a fairly, fairly simple, simple uh, argument here. Jesus is the God of the harvest. Can you all see it? Jesus is the God of the harvest. It is his work and power. You see that really in, in line, uh, and that's why I brought your attention to line 53. Got me to verse 53. Uh, because the uh, line, what does it say? The father knew that the, this was the hour Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed. He witnesses of his work and power. What is happening here? First, let's just explore this analogy of farming. Now, there's only one farmer here. There's only one hayseed, only one hick that I know of. Only one, only one person who's been in the fields. Uh, probably, really, I can just see a straw sticking out of his mouth. And that's Dylan. That's Dylan Bathurst right back there. Our farmer from Idaho or Iowa? Kansas, that's right, Kansas. It's all the same thing, I know. It all looks the same when you're driving through it. Uh, that's right, I knew Kansas. Who's from Iowa? Are you from Iowa here? That's right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> they seem like they're from Iowa, don't they? All right. Let's explore the analogy. I, 
I don't know how far I want to go here. There's something special about the analogy, but I remember as a child, it's used again and again. You know who's harvesting sometimes in the Bible? Sometimes it's angels. It's really kind of a cool picture. Angels come down and they harvest us. There's a picture in the Bible that you and you and you are all like a, a form of produce. <laughs> You're a form of produce. And, and God comes in and, and he and he and he harvests you like a, like a, like a farmer. Uh, you know what? I didn't include this down here. I didn't include it down here. But part of our evangelism and part of the beauty of this evangelism is harvesting is about evangelism, bringing people in to, to know God, inviting and our entire posture. But it's funny because uh, uh, I don't like the word evangelism. And if I say it, a lot of you just kind of go, click. You immediately, you're so well prepared. You're so armed against any any, 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 any command from a preacher to evangelize, you're, you're prepared. I know you are. I know how ready you are. But exploring this analogy, just kind of pop it open. It's, it's just humble, simple, accessible. So it's supposed to be. That's all. And the organic part of it is kind of helpful. Organic, organic images say more about the kingdom than maybe some of our industrial ones. Or you know, Anyway, it doesn't matter. But... But uh, the analogy is so common. Sometimes angels are reapers, sometimes we're reaping. Sometimes God's whole kingdom is compared to a big field, to a big and, and, and we're constantly using these images. But one of the things I love a bit in this natural image is that it keeps coming back to it's his word and work. And the words word and work keep coming up in this text. It is his word and work to do the harvest. He creates and he harvests, he sows and he reaps through you. He is, he is the Lord of the harvest. And, and, and so the harvest and, and this imagery, you were invited in to, to see him as providing the, the, the workers, the sowing, the seed itself, the, the land. And there's this beautiful, comprehensive trust we're supposed to have in all of his sovereign love. What is God's love language? Sovereignty. It's the way he communicates his love. It's through his sovereignty. And so he, he creates what he seeks of him. Through him and to him are all things. These are the prepositions of glory. The prepositions of glory are a Holy Spirit combine. You see my, see my, uh, did you catch that? Did you catch that down, Dylan? You saw it. You know, combine's a big harvesting machine they use in the, in the fields. But the reason I love prepositions so much, talking about harvest, it's because prepositions are all about coming and going. They're all about, they're all about entering. You see, it, 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 these are all something about, there's something living about harvesting and the faith and the kingdom. It's alive. It's alive. It's moving. It's, 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 know, it's kind of exciting. And it, it moves all of and through and to him in the prepositions of glory. And we are invited in to be the harvest. Now, Tom, Tom's here. I'm going to embarrass Tom. Tom is here as a guest with us from China. He moved here from China. And in China, he said he couldn't find out about Christianity. And he is here. He wants to find out. Why is he here? Does anybody know why he's here? Who talked to him when you guys were out? Ebby. Ebby's not here. Because Peter and others were out on the street worshiping. We are invited in to be the harvest. And part of missed this. You, Tom, you, George, you, we are to be the harvest. <laughs> and this, this is a wonderful place to be. We're, we're to seek, 
and it's kind of it's like the big guy. I picture, can you imagine if tomatoes could think? And they're like, you know, and every tomato's goal is to be picked and eaten as a part of a, uh, of a balsamic vinegar, uh, basil, uh, and uh, mozzarella dish. Like, that's the dream of every tomato. Right? I say that's the dream of every tomato. What do tomatoes do? Well, if I was a tomato, what would I want to do to make sure that I landed up on that plate? I want to be the biggest, reddest, fattest, hanging, be the harvest. Be that which God seeks. That's what he's seeking and creating. Be the harvest. He is here and, and, and know that you are a part of and we are living in the intentions and purposes and plans of a God who is intent on a harvest. And it is a part, it, and so it's, it's a wonderful invitation to be it and to see it. And this, it must, I must alert you, three times Christ uses an imperative as if to say, I, you can hear his frustration, the dislocation, the look, lift up your eyes and look, see. The disciples don't see it. And they won't, and they can't understand, and they don't look at the world the way God Father looks at it. I remember... I saw a thought of this one. What's that? Is it Hawk Hill where you look at San Francisco? Is that the name of that hill up there? And you can see, you can see San Francisco really clearly. But there's different cities that have vistas like that. And I remember somebody telling me, I think there's one like that over Singapore or someplace like that. But, but uh, somebody was telling me they were standing there with a missionary. And they kept thinking, and they were a business person. And they were thinking about how to reach the city through their business plan. And they were talking to their friend, the missionary. And the missionary, and as he was talking, he said, all I, they were talking about what they were looking to view, and what did the missionary say? All I see is a city dying without a savior. And it breaks my heart. What do you see? And we're gonna pull this out a little bit more too, and see how we were invited to be the harvest, to see the harvest, and to do the harvesting. This is where I hope that, 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 that this word today can give us some encouragement. First, there's no heavy lifting in the kingdom. It really isn't. It's hard to, it's going to be hard to convince you of this. Um, well, let's just, go to the, let's just go to the girl's sermon. Come, see a man. All right, okay. Yeah, he is a man, it's true. You don't know who he is. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. It's all about my experience. My experience tells me everything. I can, let me tell you something. And this I know and I saw it. I can know I know he is. I can just tell you somebody special. Not come see a man who told me I ever everything I ever did. And it worked. Why can't I broke them? Oh I broke them. It's, it's okay. But, but my point is, 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 is if we can walk towards this, as we begin to see, is that, is that Christ is removing, and Christ has removed in his love, he's removed obstacles. It clicks in if you could help me. There's a screw on the ground, too? Thank you. What's this one? Yeah, I gotta stop dropping my glasses. All right, they're too expensive for that. What, what was the point? Oh, no heavy lifting. It, guys, there's nothing to do. The work's done. I wish we could get into this. Part of Jesus' love for you, Tom, and for you, George, is that he gives his love away for free. No heavy lifting. <laughs> no heavy lifting.
heavy lifting for others or for ourselves. Jesus is the Lord of harvest. And I want you to invite you to this because I know a lot of us are just lazy anyway. And I, just, I want you to invite that, that evangelism is wonderful for lazy people because Jesus does all the work. If you're lazy, you can make a phenomenal evangelist. Second, we need God eyes. The God eyes. Honestly, what do you see? All right, so I, uh, I think under the impulse and guidance of the Holy Spirit, um, I've been praying for crowds of people when I see them, anonymous crowds of people. Sometimes I don't, because I just can't whoop it up inside like I care. And then sometimes I do it anyway. And then sometimes the Holy Spirit's doing it. But one of the things I've noticed it's starting to do is I'm starting to see again the harvest. Look, many of us think, many of us think the fields are not really ripe. So ripe, a little hanging fruits people talk. I mean, you, know, you, you know the best apples in an orchard? My dad was a truck driver who was in an orchard for a long while. You know what the best half apples in the orchard were? The ones that are hanging low. When the, bend, when the branch is starting to bend, that means that apple is so fat with sugar. And you, and what it, when, and you know it's just right when you grab it. And that, really, as you grab it, just the force of your hand grabbing what happens. We were on the street corner, and Tom is here for the second week. I don't know what you think is going on. I don't even you know what's going on. But that's what, it, that's what the promise is. You, you see, a lot of us think we just don't believe that. We refuse to admit that or refuse to think that because then it would mean we have to be more active maybe. Or, or maybe we just think that San Francisco is too dark, too cold, too distant, too removed, too ungodly. No, it's not. There's no heavy lifting in the kingdom. <laughs> the heavy lifting is done. We need to have God eyes. You need a visit to the fridge. How, many, how often do you do this? Uh, all right, so I've been reading this when I was reading, I read this when I was reading for the sermon, and I thought it was kind of clever. Look, this is, somebody said, every time you open the fridge, you're looking for God. Which is kind of funny, but I know what they're getting at. How many times do you open the fridge when you're not hungry? Show of hands. In fact, I tend to open the fridge more when I'm not hungry. And you stand there with the fridge open wondering, why are you standing there and you're not hungry? Well, Jesus is telling you, because God's food's better. It's the food you really wanted. And when you're cracking open the fridge to something to fill whatever that aching feeling, whatever that wandering need for something to make me feel somehow better than I feel right now, what you're really doing is you're looking for the food that fills. You're looking for a temporary fix for an eternal problem. <laughs> and right there, look in the fridge. And so what I would call you to is when God calls you to a mini fast, just fast. Skip lunch and give it to God. And tell him, I will temporarily give up what I need and desire to gain something I need and desire more. The salvation of my, my mom, let's say. The people I love. New boldness. Man, we need a visit to the fridge to do good evangelism, don't we? Third, demolition. Um, Mike Funk, I don't know if some of you know him, but he is a man who delights in destruction. <laughs> the smile. We, so he, he volunteered time to help me demo our, 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 um, our fireplace 
and uh, he helped me. And uh, he gets there, and he's got a Hilti, uh, it was called a hammer drill. You ever see one of these? A hammer drill? It's a, it's a portable jackhammer is what it is. It's awesome. So what you do is, it's just a normal drill, and, and it doesn't do anything. It's, it's humming, it's click, it's kind of heavy. But the minute you apply just a mild amount of pressure, remember, no heavy lifting, just a mild amount of pressure, all of a sudden, brick and concrete and stone and mortar turns to butter. And the smile on Mike's face as brick after brick. It was a little scary. I would like to have known who he was thinking about. But um, demolition. What does good, good evangelism and harvesting do? How do we do this work? I'll tell you. Let me tell you something. We need to come into this city and we need to find the people who are eliminated because of elitism or the people nobody talks to because of their sectarian or the sexism that destroys the city or destroys our, destroys our lives when we think either sex is less than the other. Ethnocentrism, where we love our culture or we celebrate our culture religiously or ethnically over others. Classism, he's poor, he's ugly, he smells, doesn't even know how to be on time. Institutional bigotry. Jesus literally is like a little demo. Bam, bam. There's no wonder people killed him. He must have literally pissed off everybody. You cannot walk through cultural mores and break down class distinctions and ethnocentrism and elitism without making people really angry. The work of harvest is the work of demolition. And I'll be honest with you, there are people who you write off I know there are, because I do it. There's people you don't see. When you don't see a person, you know what you're actually saying in the action of never seeing? If there's a person in your life somewhere you've never observed, they don't exist for you, you are telling on yourself. You are more of an elitist and a classist than you think. Who's your plus one? There's this idea of invitation that's everywhere. Um, she, lifts her, she leaves her water jar. The reaper's already catching up with the sower. She's already doing the business. Who's your plus one? Uh, it's this idea of a deep invitational idea that should be a part of everything we think. I'm serious. If there's something we're doing as a community, you should be thinking, who can I invite to this? Honestly, why not? And I'm not just inviting them to events, but you're inviting people into your life. There was an interesting thing when we talked about the ministry this past week with the interns. Because we knew the interns were here for a very short time, right? And you knew we had a very short window for investment. But what was our commitment? To, to give our hearts. To invite people into our lives. Not merely invite them into a few events. To invite them into the life of God in eternity. <clears throat> Who's your plus one? I don't think you should be navigating all of our church events without inviting. And I don't mean inviting as an act, but I mean inviting as an attitude. Right? As a whole disposition. What is your Bible study for if it's not for inviting people? Come on. <laughs> and I mean inviting like, man, you just make people want to come. And this last one showing up. I think this is really real. I'm going to read my notes in here about it. It really, really hit me. Um, do I have my, did my glasses? Yeah, they're back here. Um, and it won't be done. I want you to enjoy this 
truth with me. I'm going to jump somewhere here. Give me a chance. They are now inside. no heavy lifting. When you read the very opening of John 4, it says he had to go through Samaria. A lot of commentators have a lot of questions about that, mostly because you usually don't say about the Son of God who created the universe he had to do anything, right? Usually had and God are not the same, no, not usually in the same sentence. Because God is free. He's not compelled. He's not so they had to go to Samaria. They had to. It wasn't even the shortest route to their, to their destination. But they had to go through. There's no reason to believe that Jesus knew she was going to believe, be there. He's not super magic. He's not, he's not. To make Jesus into a magic man is to miss what the God man really is. He meets this woman. He makes the most of the opportunity by being there. You know, it's funny, the whole idea of showing up and showing up in each other's lives and actually arriving is, 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 is you know, Deepak and I talk about this a lot because Deepak's complaint about our community is we're not really present with each other. Deeply present. That means showing up and being there for people. Because being, showing up in this big sense is exactly what God has done in this whole story. Is about what? What is this whole story about? What is the whole story of the Bible about? God has showed up. Yeah. And um, God does not need you or me to save San Francisco. He doesn't. He doesn't need us for the city. He doesn't need us to help them. He doesn't need us to save San Francisco. No. But we will be the way he shows up here for people. And he has decided in and through his church, in and through the love he gives here, in and through the love and the Holy Spirit that he pours out here, that we will be his arrival. And the arrival of his truth and his work and his word and his invitation and his love, we will be the delivery mechanism, the delivery system, the, the invitation. We, you are God showing up in people's lives all the time. So every time you decide to, I'm not going to say anything right now, you're God saying, oh, well, spirits, forget you. I don't have time for this person. You're just God saying, you know what? I forget that. It's no longer God speaking, is it? (laughs) In John 4, Jesus loves the town tramp. It's one of the greatest invitations to believe that Jesus could love me than I've ever read. Praise him. Let's pray. same way he also took a cup of wine saying this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins take and drink 
And so often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. All right. You know, it's funny, this eating and drinking, eating and drinking, eating and drinking, eating and drinking, all the most common things we do are the ways God tries to communicate his love and kingdom to us. He lifts, he speaks baby talk in the table. Let me give you a warm invitation. And I hope you hear it. An invitation like Jesus's. If you are a sinner, maybe you slept with a dozen people or more. Jesus is inviting you in. Because sinners are loved at this table. Maybe you have run from him. Maybe you have shamed him. Maybe you have ignored him. Maybe you have blasphemed him. Maybe you've been living in immorality and drugs and whatever. It doesn't matter. This is your table if you will claim Christ. Now, this table, this meal is not fitting for everybody. And some people are not allowed to eat this food. And the people who cannot eat this food are the good people. If you're a good person today, if you think you're a good person, let me tell you, this table will give you indigestion. Gosh, I'm not getting any, any laughter at all out of you people, but let's, let's think about it. When you use the food imagery, if you think you're a good person, this table will give you indigestion, spiritually and eternally. Um, Jesus came to save sinners, and if you think you're a good person, you're unworthy of our Father's table. All right. Uh, if you're a skeptic and you think everything I said was hogwash, let's talk, because I love talking about that stuff. But, um, but watch us, and perhaps you will be enticed <laughs> to know God like we do. We desire that. We'll take it back after we're singing the song, and we'll eat together, okay? And we'll be blessed, and we'll be done. Um, all right, let's get, let's, get, let's, get, let's get busy. Come. Oh, wait, it's Christians, so stand up. Christian believer, brother and sister, tell me what you believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, 